Dimelang Avusheni and hello hi Mzanzi. Welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no-holds-barred podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthful Mzanzi. I'm your host, Nolu Tandungakani, and I'm here to hold your hand as you seek the answers to those passy bumps and suspicious lumps you dare not speak of in public. In a landmark decision on June 24, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, a nearly 50-year law protecting the right of women to medical privacy and safe legal abortions. The policy allows abortion only in cases of rape, incest, or when a woman's life is at risk. To explain what the overturning means for South African women, we are joined by Kayla Beer. Bia specializes in constructions of sexual consent and how our cultural and societal understandings of consent feed into South Africa's high gender-based violence rates. She focuses on how power structures like patriarchy, racism and colonialism impact how we understand consent. She's a double master's graduate with a master's in psychology from the University of Cape Town and a master's in women's health from the University College London. What is Roe versus Wade and what does it mean for American women? I think it's something that we sort of take for granted or have quite an amorphous understanding of what Roe v. Wade actually is. But it was a Supreme Court ruling that took place in 1973 in the United States that basically said that legally all states have to offer abortion as a kind of health care or kind of within or under the umbrella of health care. And I think it's important to understand the legal context of the state, which is quite different from the legal context here in South Africa, where the Supreme Court makes decisions on a federal level and that law, that act that is passed is then relevant to each and every state. How they choose to act in relation to that law is dependent on the state and the particular kind of politicians within each state. But the kind of general ruling was that legally all states have to offer some form of abortion as healthcare. So another important thing to consider about the Roe v. Wade was that in the case of Jane Roe is the student of, of the woman. She sued Wade, who was the, the lawyer in the state at the time, because he rejected her right to abortion. And the argument from Roe's lawyer's side is that the right to abortion falls under the American Constitution's right to privacy. So that's another important kind of legal contextualization to, to have in mind which is that it wasn't necessarily that it was the protection of abortion in particular, but it was that abortion falls under a woman's right to privacy or a person's right to privacy. So that's also another element to consider. And so if you consider part of the Constitution, I think it's Amendment 14, which is the right to privacy, abortion is ruled to be part of that 14th Amendment. Kayla, what happens then if women violate this new addition to their Constitution? Do they get thrown into jail or whatever? So- Yes, again, the kind of American legal context is slightly different from what we have here in South Africa. So with Roe v. Wade being overturned, what that means is that it's no longer a legal requirement for each and every state to offer abortion as health care. There are some states that upon Roe v. Wade being overturned will make abortion completely legal and inaccessible under any scenarios. There are other states in which it does not impact the abortion services that they offer at all. So what you'll find realistically is that people are not going to stop wanting or needing abortions. They're just going to have to go further to find them or they're going to have to have find access to unsafe abortions. 
think that's a really important thing just to remember when having this conversation with anyone in any kind of legal context is that making an abortion illegal doesn't stop abortions, it just stops safe abortions. So in terms of what would happen, you would find that there may be people who are seeking abortions who have to travel out of state in order to get them. So certain states like Texas or Arkansas will rule abortions as illegal. And so you will find people traveling to places like, let's say, New York, where kind of the New York stance has been that the, the access to abortion will not change within the New York setting. Of course, that requires people having enough money to travel in order to do that, which means that, again, people who have access to less resources and, and less money are going to be disproportionately affected, particularly when it comes to working class people who don't have either the financial capacity to travel out of state in order to get an abortion, but also just don't have the job security to say, I need to take you know, X amount of days and not explain why. So that's another thing to consider is that as is the case with any and all legislation, it impacts working class people and people in poverty far more than it does the kind of middle class and upper class contingent. In terms of punishment, another interesting consideration in the American context is that actually a lot of the punishments are from the abortion provider as opposed to the person supporting the abortion. So in all the states, I think there are 19 states currently that are expected to change the law with Roe v. being overturned. It is the provider that is punished. In some states, there are clauses that say that you may not prosecute or persecute the individual getting the abortion. You can only punish the person providing the abortion. In other states, though, that protection is not in place. So I've got a couple of examples here, just bearing in mind that this will obviously vary from state to state. Like in South Dakota, doctors who perform abortions for any reason other than to save a person's life are in prison for a year or fined up to $4,000 or both. And the person seeking the abortion is also not protected from that punishment either. Whereas somewhere like Arkansas, a doctor providing an abortion can face up to six years in prison. The person seeking the abortion is protected, but in Arkansas, there is no clause that says that abortion can be practiced if it's going to save the individual's life. You've got a scenario there where doctors will actually be imprisoned or fined to save their patient's life and would not be punished for letting the patient die. It's a very complicated, quite draconian sort of setup. And then it's another thing to consider that it varies by state to state in terms of what the exceptions are. Like I said, like in Arkansas, there's no exception in any scenario. There are, Arkansas is one of three states where the person performing the abortion would be punished regardless of whether or not it was done to save the patient's life. In 15 states, there are no exceptions for performing abortion and the abortion was a result of sexual violence or rape. And in 16 states, there are no exceptions for scenarios in which the pregnancy is a result of incest. It varies from state to state. The most extreme is where abortion is not allowed in any scenario, regardless of threat to the parent's life or health of the fetus or kind of the scenario in which the pregnancy came about. In other places, it's allowed up to a certain point if this and this has happened or if it is a result of this and so on and so forth. So like I said, that kind of American legal context leads, for, leads to like quite a lot of complexity in terms of how much it varies across a single country. It kind of makes your stomach turn a little bit. Terrifying. What does this actually mean for South African women then? Does it mean anything for us? So legally speaking, we are protected, which is great news. I'm going to quickly talk through the South African laws when it comes to abortion, and then we can talk about the impact of Roe v. Wade on us in a more kind of like societal and global context. 
but it's actually written into our constitution, section 27, states that everyone has the right to access the healthcare services and sexual and reproductive healthcare services are included in that blanket of healthcare services. So unlike the scenario in the American context where you've got abortion falling under this right to privacy, where privacy is kind of defined in any number of ways, in our constitution, it's, it's kind of very specific. Sexual and reproductive healthcare and abortion is included in that umbrella term of sexual and reproductive healthcare. So it's written into our constitution, unlike in the state, that any and all people seeking an abortion have the right to do so. There are some kind of structure to the law that's linked to timelines. Any time before the 13th week of pregnancy, which is kind of a reasonable period of time in which someone would acknowledge that they were pregnant, unlike the six-week ban that we've seen in the States before, where it's actually very uncommon to know at six weeks that you're pregnant. At 13 weeks, it's reasonable to expect that people will have registered that pregnancy may be an option or something that they need to consider. At 13 weeks, anybody can terminate the pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. That's kind of within their, their legal rights to request one and it needs to be accepted by the healthcare professional that they're, they're asking it from. That includes minors. So even if you are under the age of 18, you can still request an abortion from your healthcare provider and they legally have to either perform it for you if they have that capacity or direct you to someone or like to a clinic or a specialist who can provide that service for you. Minors are often encouraged to seek their parents' consent as well, but legally it's not required, which is another important thing to consider because teen pregnancy is real in all countries, it's real in South Africa, there's no sense in, in having abortion regulation that doesn't accommodate for, for people below the age of 18. From 13 to 20 weeks, you can still terminate your pregnancy if there is a risk to the pregnant person's health or if there is a risk or severe abnormalities within the fetus itself. Again, scenarios of rape and incest are also reason enough to justify abortion. And then anything after 20 weeks, which for context is about kind of halfway through a pregnancy, anything more than 20 weeks is you can only get an abortion if continuing with the pregnancy would be kind of deathly or fatal to the person carrying the child or has kind of major health repercussions for the person carrying the child, or there is severe abnormalities or the quality of life of the fetus is so severely impacted that it's kind of terminating the fetus is kind of arguably better than the kind of quality of life that they may be able to achieve if the pregnancy is carried to term. Then the impact of Roe v. Wade here on our shores, what does that look like? Yeah, I think that's a difficult thing to kind of quantify or predict. I think legally speaking, we remain protected. I can't think of a scenario in which this would have kind of a, a domino effect on our legal access to abortion services. But I do think given how globalization is the norm nowadays and how so much of our social and political and even kind of professional lives are so deeply intertwined with the rest of the world because of social media and increasing international work and the like, it's kind of impossible to rule out how much of an impact something like this has because it's quite a clear indication of the continuation of sexism in the state. When you've got a country that is kind of being viewed as quote unquote a superpower in our kind of global context, it's very easy for people to kind of revert to somewhere like America as a kind of like a default, kind of a, a Western model that, that we see quite a bit in South Africa. You know, like American TV is very much the norm here. American politics is like always a topic of conversation. 
you know, at a South African dinner table, it's, it's very common to, you know, be talking about Trump or whatever it is, you know, like there are links between us and the rest of the world, and that includes America. I think from a South African woman's perspective, it's uncertain kind of how much of this kind of impact there's going to be on the way that women are treated and talked to and talked about within the South African context because there's kind of this, this normalization of policing women's bodies that we're seeing in the States and kind of how much that translates to South Africa, which as a country have incredibly high gender-based violence, race, sexism is, is rife. Like into a second pandemic here, we're already in a position as women in South Africa of feeling unsafe and feeling unsettled and constantly being on our guard. And to see the rest of the world kind of mirroring that uneven power dynamic it doesn't bode well. How it's going to play out is difficult to predict, but it's definitely not going to be good. Speaking of women's bodies being policed in this country, what are the psychological effects of being policed constantly? Yeah, there is first and foremost, there's a dearth of research in this field. Women are very irregularly studied or, or kind of put at the center of research like this. So I think that a lot of what we know of the impact that it has on, like, on women's kind of psychological well-being is anecdotal as opposed to there being kind of nearly enough money or research resources put into the understandings of these things. But I think kind of generally speaking, it's just like our anxiety levels are much higher. We know for a fact that women experience depression and anxiety on a clinical level much more than men do. And I think in large part that has to do with the fact that we are kind of constantly on edge a diagnosis known as kind of continuous trauma, which is a scenario in which, much like PTSD, where there's a psychological response to a traumatic incident and kind of how you how you respond to that is psychologically different than, you know, how you would respond had you not experienced a trauma. There is this kind of concept of continuous trauma, where it's not just a single scenario that happens, which is what we would see in PTSD, say, when men go off to war. And I mean, more recently, women and non-binary people also go off to war, but that kind of scenario of, like, there is the war and that is the trauma and then you come back and the trauma has passed. Women in South Africa don't get that experience. There is no one incident in which that happens. Like we are constantly kind of at risk. I think there's something similar in how we talk about women's bodies being policed because if you think about your body being policed, like it's one way that your body is policed is if you, if you don't have access to abortion healthcare services because it means that your body is essentially being treated as an incubator you're no longer your own person. You are the ability to produce more people. And if those more people happen to have uteruses, then they're also, you've just given birth to more incubators kind of thing. And if they are born with testes, then great, the world is dead and they go on their way sort of thing. But there are also ways of policing women in, you know, like how we dress and how we're told never to go out alone by ourselves after dark. And even then to go out alone by yourself in the middle of the day is a bit dangerous. These are all versions of being policed. They vary from city to city and from country to country, but realistically in most cases in the world, being a woman comes with a certain level of your body being policed in, in some other capacity. And I think the psychological effects of that are really painful, and we often don't quite register how painful they are because it's all we've ever known. With the exception of people who were kind of labeled as boys when they were born and then transitioned to women when they grew up, that's the only scenario in which people actually have a kind of concrete understanding of, oh, well, before I transitioned, when I was presenting as a boy, I didn't experience any of this. And now that I presented a woman, I'm suddenly made aware of how much tiptoeing and looking over your shoulder and some kind of policing is happening. But for 
the large majority of women, it's just something we know and we don't know any different. And I think the psychological effects of that are continuous and hard to, to pull apart. I was watching a TikTok yesterday about this girl who said she was robbed on an in-driver ride. Like they were working together, it was the driver and then there was a dude in the boot. All of a sudden the guy had to go stop for petrol and then like Fenty was like opening the boot so that the guy can come out with the weapon and she was more convinced that she was being kidnapped and not robbed. You know, that's how normal it is for women to just get kidnapped and just killed. And like she, she was basically saying like it was minuscule that she was getting robbed. She was more focused on the fact that she's going to die or she's going to get kidnapped. And that's how normal it is. Exactly. It's such a norm. It's really difficult because in order to make any changes to that feeling or to that kind of mindset requires more than what we can do. It has to come from men. It has to come from people in power. And it's very hard to make that change when you are the one that's directly benefiting from these power structures that are making us feel unsafe and policed in so many different ways. In much the same way that like in the States, to be able to write abortion into the Constitution would require the majority of Supreme Court justices to either be female-bodied or to live in a world where they couldn't just send off their daughter or niece or cousin or mistress or whoever it is to get an abortion in a different state because they can afford to do so. And it just becomes a self-sustaining cycle where there's only so much that you and I can do in order to make the world safer for women. It's all defensive. I have to be out with my friends after dark and I have to exercise in a gym and not on the road. And I have to make sure that there's at least one other person in the Uber with and, and, and. And even then, those are things that require money. You know, to be able to afford an Uber, to have kind of private transport requires money. To have a gym membership requires money. And so if you are a rich woman in South Africa, your actions are policed and you can work around some of that policing. If you are a poor woman in South Africa, it's a completely different world. There's only so much we can do and almost everything we can do is defensive in nature. There's nothing offensive that we can do to make the world safer, short of actively asking the men in our life, the wealthy people in our life, the people in our networks that kind of have some kind of capacity to shift this power balance. And even then, like, we're relying on them doing so for the greater good. There's no personal incentive. And that's a really difficult place to be. In the same way that Brett Kavanaugh can vote against Roe v. Wade, because in what world is he ever going to be affected by lack of access to abortion for a woman living in a rural area in America? Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Kayla. For more on reproductive health and well-being for women, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. You can also send us a WhatsApp on 76 I would never blue tick you, babes. Women are truly in hell, guys. Let's not even lie or sugarcoat it. Same as the United States, abortion issues in Africa are equally controversial. And like Kayla said, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, once more men have the power to police female bodies. That brings us to the end of episode 51 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Health from Zanzi. From me, Lulu Nakani, have a great week and remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend. Mm-hmm.